Guys, guess what? It's that time again. That time where the next collective is open. The Summer Collective, which will be starting June 1st. Sign up is open now. You could sign up for the live. You could sign up for the video bundle. You could sign up for the live plus video bundle. You could sign up for a drop-in. There's payment plans. This is the best test prep out there, duh, because it's led by your girls over here, Casey and I. What you can expect is that we will cover the entire task list over our 10 weeks together where we, where we meet twice a week. I'm warning you're probably going to be obsessed with it and crying when the collective is over, but that's okay because we have a lot of cool ways to stay in touch with us. But go to studynotesaba.com and get your ass signed up. You won't regret it. It's behavior, bitches. Hey, guys. It's Liat. And Casey, the bitch is back, Liat. Thank God. Running an episode on your own is hard AF. And guess what? I did it for my second time. Yeah, you did a great job. And I listened. And it was episode 45. But today is episode 46. Casey, four, six. Pick up sticks. No, four, six. (laughs) We're really in the mix. We're really doing it. Awesome. Woo. It doesn't rhyme with mix, but whatever. (laughs) We're getting worse and worse. You know what? Our rhyming on the numbers is getting worse as we go on, but our our content is getting better. And we've got that reinforcement. So it's okay. You might see that behavioral contrast. One thing goes down in one place and up in the other and vice versa. So um, today we are really excited for today's episode. But before we get started, we need our review of the day, which I know Casey loves to share because it gets us feeling ourselves. Yes, really feeling ourselves. So this one is from Melissa C0924. She titles it Good AF. I like how you're using the lingo girl. You're in the club. These girls put so much work and time into everything they have put together. The passion for teaching is incredible. I highly recommend to study with them. That means a lot, and it goes really well with Liat's intro um, about the collective, because we do put our hearts and soul into everything we teach you guys, and it means so much to get reviews like that. So thank you, Melissa, for that amazing review. A little silent round of applause. Um, what's new with you, Liat, real quick? Let's do a quick breakdown. Well, what's new with me? What's new with me is I have, it's been Passover and a lot of people who don't know, it's really long. It's not just like a Seder one night. So when you're Orthodox Jewish, it's the first two nights and you literally have to flip your entire kitchen over in terms of you need new cutlery, new cookware, all for Passover because you can't have anything that's had anything that's been in there all year. So you do that for two days. Then you have like a two-day break in between. Then the last two days are also like a Shabbat, not using electricity, not working, not doing any of that. And if you know anything about me, I hate not being able to work because I love doing this so much. Um, But I did get some good reading in and I'm pumped up about a lot of things we have coming. And I'm a I'm a professional pairing pack maker now. Let's put it that way. (laughs) She runs a factory, legit factory out of her garage. Um, so for me, without Liat for let's say what five days, like out of a week, um, it's been 
you know, it's me on overdrive, high drive, trying to make sure that everything's working and happening. But you've been killing it. Yeah, I feel like I'm like on fire. Um, and then last episode I had to do alone, um, which was great because I had two awesome BCBAs on the show that really rallied and it was a great show. Um, but it's hard not having your partner, you know, you just got to keep going and crushing it. And um, Liat and I work really well together. So I'm glad you're And back, it's girl. awkward when you have to say love you and then there's no one to say mean it. And like, or like, hi guys, it's, really- <laughs> it's just Casey. <laughs> but no, I will say that um, we got some good feedback from the episode and I missed you. I missed you, sis. I missed you. I missed you too, sis. <laughs> but I'm really excited for today. And I don't think anyone realized that, and I didn't either, and neither did you. I know that. So I could speak for you. When one time I watched all 10 minutes before my ADD kicked in of that that show, um, what was it called again? Uh, the Hostage One. What's his name? Mind Reader. No. Mind Hunter? Mind Hunter. Oh my God, our guest is talking. Oh my God, no, ah, not I love yet. It. I love it. Mind That's Hunter. He's, he, I'm kidding. He's totally, I watched 10 minutes of it, then my ADD kicked in and I started going on. That's where the whole thing started with um, Scott, which we've apparently been saying wrong. Telema. Telema. What? Telema. Telema. Yeah, so we have gone into a, um, I think the whole podcast after episode 50 is going to just be called Hostage, hostage bitches. <laughs> I told her this is like, we got to like, really like, I love this. It's like spun off into this like crazy, like new world, but a really exciting and awesome guest that Scott has connected us with. Um, don't worry, BCBAs, it will all relate and we will always continue to bring you guys BCBA podcasts as well. Um, but today's guest, we're so excited. We actually spent about 45 minutes to an hour talking with him. And uh, he thought that was a podcast. <laughs> and we had and no we're mic- like, okay, so can we schedule a day? He's like, wait, what do you mean? We're like, oh, no. And not to mention, that was with you. And then I kept him on the on the phone after, or the Google Hangout after. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, here's the first show you need to watch, the second show, the third, the fourth. Watch this before this. This I gave him a lot of work. Yeah, and he's also on else for the show. But anyways, he is really effing cool. And we're so excited to have him. So his name is Harry Drucker. Sergeant Harry Drucker to you, to all of us, actually. But um, he's got he's a 32-year veteran of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Sergeant Harry Drucker has served more than 23 of those years as a negotiator. How freaking cool is that? Um, now he serves as one of the department's negotiation team leaders, Sergeant Drucker has responded to over 400 barricaded suspect and hostage situations across over 4,000 square miles of Los Angeles County. Sergeant Drucker has instructed thousands of hostage negotiators um, across the United States and Canada. Between callouts, he runs a department studio, which is really cool. I watched a video that he made, won an Emmy, um, that produces training videos. NBD, no big deal, whatever. Whatever. Sergeant Drucker has worked a variety of custody and parole or patrol, my, my bad, assignments, including five years as a civil litigation investigator and four years as one of the department's public information officers. Harry lives in Sherman Oaks, of suburb, a suburb of Los Angeles with his wife and their two children. 
Harry, welcome to the Behavior Bitches podcast. Good this is morning. the actual. This is here. the actual podcast. Just so you this know, this is it. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll, we're I'll actually watch my live. Language. Don't okay, watch your language. Don't watch your language. It, it wouldn't yeah. fit the vibe. Got it. Thank so, you so much for coming. It is my pleasure. I mean, what else am I doing? Well, I, I'm actually pretty busy nowadays, but uh, the rest of my family's locked down, which I put them even further locked down quiet and we've put the animals in other rooms and and uh that's my kids but then the the real animals the birds and the dogs and the cats and the whatever else we have we put away yeah you got to make sure that you're really ready for this professional podcast that we record it's super <laughs> exactly professional i don't you cannot fuck up like i need you to be on point the whole time <laughs> <laughs> no second takes just like my uh my other job yeah so, exactly. Good, good it. tying it together. So before we get further on, I'm going to just do the behavioral principles of the day that we will be covering and probably more, but I just like to give you guys some to get you hot and bothered and excited talking about ABA. So we're going to talk about pairing, high probability, low probability, request sequence, behavior momentum, response effort, ratio strain, motivating operations, reinforcement, probably some punishment because most likely if you are on the phone with Sergeant Drucker, it probably means you're in trouble and there's some punishment coming. So we'll see how this all fits in. But anyways, that's it. We just give that brief intro. And now we could go into asking you all the questions we have to get started. Well, could, did we miss anything about you? Is there anything that you want to add in about yourself? Uh, no, that's, that's, pretty much it. I've got a, I have had a really fortunate and odd career for law enforcement. Um, if I had to, uh, if you, if I was able to contact myself 30, you know, 33 years ago and say, this is how your career is going to go, I would never have believed it. So I, I'm very fortunate and uh, have uh, worked with some amazing people and, and have had, I, I like to tell people it's the worst job I've ever had and it's the best job I've ever had. I like that. That's a, a testament that you must love what you do, also knowing how hard it is. And I was reading an article before we came on here. Um, if you're on the phone with Sergeant Drucker, it probably means you're in trouble. And I was like, we're on the phone with Sergeant Drucker. Like, we are <laughs> live on the phone. Um, and that, like, for over a decade, like, you've been doing this. So tell us, like, kind of start us from your, like, beginning of your history to, like, where you ended up. Uh, well, uh, I was born a... Uh, <laughs> uh, Grew up in Southern California uh, in a, uh, a family that had no law enforcement. Um, I uh, didn't grow up wanting to, to be a, a police officer. Um, didn't really kind of was didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in my uh, uh, you know late teens, early 20s, like most of us. And a friend of mine was uh, going through the process of starting with the, uh, the L.A. Sheriff's Department and um, and it kind of said, uh, I it still didn't ap uh, appeal to me, but, you know, said, uh, hey, if uh, you can you can sign up, maybe they won't even want you. But uh, uh, which is kind of what happened. Um, uh, but they not that they didn't want me, but uh, uh, came on in the late 80s. Uh, and it, it's it, it's interesting to note what law enforcement kind of was doing. Um, that was pre Rodney King. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, law enforcement was kind of doing their own thing. In a good way, but in a good way. Based can you explain Rodney King? Uh, wow. <laughs> that is a, uh, a uh, loaded is, question I mean, there, Leah. You can do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> right. But uh, Rodney King was a, uh, a 
uh, a guy who was arrested by LAPD, who was under the influence and driving recklessly. And, and um, the way they took him into custody was um, uh, using a lot of force. And it was uh, the which it wasn't really odd at the time. But what was different was that somebody captured it on video and it made it to, uh, pro- you know, to international news. And uh, at the time, I was uh, a brand new uh, patrol officer. I'd been on the department for about three or four years. And uh, uh, watching that in one of our briefings, uh, I remember very clearly watching it and thinking everything's going to change. And it did. And some things, most things for the better. Uh, People, um, you had to kind of explain what you were doing as, as a law enforcement officer, which a lot of times you don't have. Uh, the time to do in the early stages of a contact. Mm-hmm. Um, but it what what evolved from it was community based policing, which really wasn't the thing at the time. I you know, I think a lot of smaller agencies were already doing it. And a lot of officers were already doing it where they were really in the uh, you know, officer friendly, you're kind of in the community and finding out what's uh, what's important to people, and uh, which is kind of the basis of of community based policing, finding out what the community needs and wants in their law enforcement, and doing that. Uh, and before Rodney King, a lot of what we were doing was was hey, we want to get gangs off the street and drugs off the street and guns off the street, which are all good things, and and people want that, but we were kind of doing that uh, to the um, exclusion of other things like traffic safety and and graffiti abatement and and things like that. So um, things changed and, and it, it caused a lot of police officers to be better communicators. Um, I'd like to think that I was already there. Um, and, um, you know, there, there's two ways to do things. Um, you know, the old adage of you, you catch more flies with, with honey than with vinegar. Um, I kind of use that concept when I had to arrest somebody of, of talking to them and kind of persuading them to get into the patrol car rather yeah. than putting them there with force. Um, and that kind of guided the rest of, uh, be, not the rest of my career, but becoming uh, a negotiator. Uh, I, I think that's, it's the better way of doing things. And also it can prevent injury to law enforcement, to our, to innocent people, and also to the suspect, which uh, a lot of people discount as saying, yeah, well, who cares about them? Well, they're human beings, and that's kind of the core of, of negotiations in, in, uh, in any negotiations, understanding that uh, the person that you're talking to is a human being and um, connecting with them and talking to them at that level. Uh, and, and that's uh, kind of the beginning of how I got to, to being here. Uh, negotiations um, in law enforcement actually, you know, started in the in the 70s. So it's relatively a kind of a new thing. Um, where, um, you know, people would, would ask, you know, kind of look at us like, you know, oh, you care too much for the, you know, why do you care about the bad guy? Um, but what we care about is, is not having them, especially if they're, we're dealing with somebody with a weapon or somebody who has already committed a violent crime, uh, perhaps against law enforcement. I mean, I, I've had to, unfortunately, I come from a very large department. So um, the number of officers killed in the line of duty is, is, one is too many, but um, I've had to respond to potentially having to negotiate with somebody who's killed a police officer half a dozen times. That's uh, and, That's um, a lot of pressure on you. 
Yes, uh, absolutely. Plus, just even wondering if, if um, you know, am I going to, am I going to say the right things? Am I going to, um, you know, even struggling with, uh, in in two cases, two of those half dozen, I knew the person, I, I knew the officer uh, personally, and thinking, how am I going to, quote unquote, make nice with uh, with this this horrible person who's uh, who's killed a, a really good good guy in, in both these cases. So, um, but the idea is even, even though you're doing that there, we have to bring that person into custody. They're a danger to the public. They're a danger to, to everybody out there. And, and how do you do that? So other officers don't get hurt, uh, or killed. And, and, um, and so, and, and I wasn't really, to be honest, I wasn't really, uh, uh, that great with my, um, physical skills in law enforcement of using force and, and, um, um, you couldn't like break down a door and be like a wicked badass like Terminator, no? Uh, yeah, I wasn't really good at that. Uh, uh, so I had to develop those other skills, which I, I always think of when I hear about comedians and you hear uh, uh, interviews about them and how they grew up. And they said, well, you know, I was getting beat up a lot. So I developed a sense of humor to, you know, disarm uh, the bullies that were coming after me. And and um, so a little <laughs> kind of like that. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, had you know, negotiations in law enforcement is a uh, collateral duty. There are very few full-time negotiators. So I, I continue to do this. This is why I've been fortunate and able to do it for as long as I have, um, because I would work other assignments and um, uh, was a, uh, a deputy sheriff when I started. Now I'm a sergeant uh, and uh, I supervise. I don't negotiate uh, as much. Uh, because I'm usually leading the team and directing the, um, uh, and, and that's, let me get one thing out there about negotiations. And, and, you know, if you watch the movies, there's a negotiator and this person comes in and, you know, it's really cool. And they get on the phone and there's this, this interaction with the bad guy and, and the negotiator. It, it's really a team sport. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's one thing I, I would uh, change about how uh, the media movies, TV shows, uh, portray negotiations is to show a little more of that, how that team functions. Yeah. Uh, because sure. you're right about it, it puts a lot of pressure on somebody. If, if you're the only one that has to come up with stuff and, and there's a whole uh, background you need to do and, and uh, uh, get gathering intelligence and coordinating everything that goes into the negotiation. Um, so, um, I do a lot of that uh, uh, that type of coordination now. Uh, although every now and then um, I do still negotiate. In fact, uh, about a month ago, I had one um, in uh, in the Los Angeles area, and um, it's kind of like riding a bike. Even though there are perishable skills, um, uh, I do enjoy doing that when I can. But it's it, you don't want to, as the kind of team leader, you don't want to put yourself in saying, "Oh, I'm going to do this one." You know, you try to cultivate and, and help out your partners and, and uh, kind of pair the best person with the, the person that you're talking to. And they're not all bad guys. They're not all criminals. Sometimes they're people in crisis. And especially now people are really struggling with uh, what's going on with COVID and, and mm -hmm. being, you know, locked down. And, and so a lot of people are reaching their, their kind of breaking, breaking point. points. Um, oh, yep, exactly. Yeah. So I, I remember when we were talking and we came up with this amazing thing that you said, and it was like, we're like, well, this is going to be the um, 
title of the show. Um, and it was crafting your question, right? Effective communication. So like, I'm sure that there's a lot of things. And I wanted to ask you about um, if you could go into a little bit more detail on the behavioral change stairway model. Are you familiar with that? I was reading an article about you that it, like talked about that. And I think that's like a lot about um, like pairing yourself with the individual, re- like understanding Building that rapport. Yeah. Right. Well, this is, um, you know, by no stretch is anything that I came up with. This has been um, yeah, the FBI came up with this um, uh, behavioral change uh, stairway model. Um, but it really is is something that um, that if you're a good communicator, you do anyway. Um, but it's kind of like putting a name to it. And then it's also a good kind of uh, thing to to visually see when you're in the middle of it to make sure you keep yourself on track. And everything starts mm-hmm. with active listening skills. Okay, uh, you're going to walk us through it, and I'm going to tie yeah. it to the ABA concept that goes with it, okay? Okay. okay. So you, you walk us through. I'll be the behavioral translator. By the way, I changed to a robot whenever I talk about behavior. It's really weird. I can't help it. Yeah. So, I mean, you, there's there's eight identifiable skills in active listening themselves. And and um, a lot of this is is things that people do anyway in communication. They just don't know that they're doing it. But if you know what they are and you really uh, – what most of us do when we're talking to somebody is we're not really listening. We're waiting for a break in the action, just that pause to, to, oh, I've got this thing that I want to say, and I'm not really paying attention to what you're saying, but, oh, and here's, you know, I want to tell you about this. Um, you're literally really reading you... my mind, right? Like you're like, you're telling me exactly who I am. I write down questions. I'm like, yeah, is Leah going to talk? Am I going to talk? Are you going to talk? I have a next question. <laughs> oh my God. You're so right. Yeah. And that's, is you that know, what you're thinking case always. I'm never thinking that, do you know that? You'd be a good neg- negotiator. I'd be the worst. I'd be like, I got to think of what I'm going to say next. <laughs> and that's why you work with a partner uh, in, in negotiation because yeah. your your partner's doing that the next yeah. thing to say. And then uh, so we work with a coach uh, or, you know, our partner and they'll write down, you know, ask about uh, ask about the son or the daughter. They'll write it down on a note and they'll put it right in front of you. Uh, and that's, you know, something you don't see again in, in the movies or, or TV, but um, just even uh, what we call minimal encouragers, just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, and it could even be a word, you know, oh, really? It's to get that person to keep talking. And uh, when you're not face-to-face, when you don't see somebody, uh, you don't, you know, have you ever been on the phone with somebody and, 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 and they're talking and you're not saying anything? They go, are you still there? Yeah. You know, it's these little minimal sounds to let them know, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still listening to you. Um, and, uh, so you know, you're talking, you're talking over a phone call, right? And so and most of the time, if you had watched money heist, you would see that's what they do in the tent. Someone now, will be writing, someone will be writing a note and be like, like ask like this, this, this or something, you know, because it's one well, person. I'm talking. only in the first season. I've got about five or six episodes in and, and, um, so I, I didn't see a lot of that. Um, Are you unimpressed uh, so far? I was. I will be honest you know, with you. My husband and I, I could not uh, get into it. I try <laughs> not to be that guy that um, uh, it, watching any type of police-related show go, oh, that would never happen. Um, right. So I, 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 what do they say? Suspend disbelief. I suspend disbelief for the most part. 
Um, some things I can't get over. Um, the thing about Money Heist that, and I know you have to have poetic license and drama and all that, is um, the negotiator, the main character, at least in the first season, seems to be leaving a lot and like leaving the scene. And um, <laughs> yes, keep she, watching. Like, That's goes part home of it. and deals with her daughter and her ex husband. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how much we have to worry about spoiler alerts, but um, no, not at all. Uh, there's, <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. No. The scene <laughs> where she goes back to her house because her mom calls and the daughter's not there. And there's this confrontation with her and her ex-husband in, in the kitchen. And she's like, is getting ready to pull her gun on him. And it's like, why, why do we need this? This is ridiculous. But, By the um, way, I, I think everything I watch is good. I'm so like yeah. that because I, I don't watch like a lot. So I'm like, yes. And they're like, that's the shittiest acting. Not this one, but in general. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know, you have to, you have to sell shows. So you have to have a level of that, but in a real situation, if we had in, I've been involved in dealing with a bank robbery. You don't leave. You, you're engaged until this <laughs> until thing it's is over. over. Yeah. And, oh, you don't leave? Well, you don't leave unless, like, if it's going to go into multiple days, which we have never, the, the longest incident that we worked with in, in my agency was uh, 26 hours. That's so long. a little over a day. Yeah. So when it goes over 12, 13, 14 hours, the team leaders start to talk about, okay, do we need to bring in another team Mm -hmm. for relief? There's been prison standoffs. Uh, There was one in Arizona that was eight, 15, 16 days. Um, uh, Sacramento uh, police and sheriff uh, joined together and worked on an incident that was uh, was three days. So obviously you can't you're not a a robot. Uh, Liat, speaking of robot. um, She is. uh, I am. That's funny. I am like, put the gun down, put gun down. (laughs) You got to take a break. Um, But for the most part, uh, I'm not sure. I know that that uh, at least in the in the first season of Money Heist, it goes into multiple days. Um, But she seems to be leaving at, you know, unopportune times and she's in a bar and and, uh, you know, that kind of whole dynamic with the professor is is interesting. Um, But there are things about the way she's communicating that speak to this exact, uh, this exact behavioral change model, mm-hmm. um, building rapport. And a lot of that seems to come from, from him when he's asking her about what, what she's wearing, even though all the, all the, you know, she's the only woman I think in, in the command post and they're all looking at her, like looking her up and down like, Oh, what she, you know, what's she going to say? Is he going to ask what kind of underwear she has on or, you know, what's going on? Uh, and then, uh, I, I just got to the point where he asked about, you know, what what games she played as a as a as a little girl. And and the important thing to to take from that in real life is is you do look for things to make that connection. Um it's a couple of steps along after active listening. Um you you give empathy to the person you're talking to, and then eventually you try to build a rapport with these type of of things that have nothing to do with what's going on. Uh, and and so that's we, pairing ABA. We call that pairing, right? And we're going to okay. go in with initial client. Anyone listening? We that's we go into someone's home, right? We have a kid who probably doesn't want you to be there, right? Like they've been living their life the best way they can, tantruming when they want, getting what they want, and then suddenly this new asshole shows up. Which you also could become what we call a CMOR, condition motivating operation for uh, uh, um, reflexive. 
meaning anytime you come near, there's a signal that things are about to get worse, right? So it makes escape and avoidance really valuable. And we do not want to become that. So, so we go in, if this kid loves talking about how toilets work, you act super interested that you also love the way toilets work. Right. So, I mean, I don't, that seems similar to what you guys are doing with that rapport building. Like, okay, if that's what you like to talk about, cool. We could talk about that. And um, now we find out how toilets work without toilet paper. Exactly. During this time. Exactly. <laughs> See, and again, like in the beginning, you were saying too, when we were talking, like you're not saying no, right? You're not going to start off the conversation with no, you can't get this. No, you can't get that. Right. You listen to them, you hear them out um, and get kind of clear about what, what is important to them? What do they value the most? So then you can manipulate that motivating operation. Right. We're like, right. All right. And, and yeah, you definitely want to go in as, as, Hey, I'm just here to listen to you. Um, even if you know the whole backstory, what happened, you go, Hey, I just got here. Uh, I'm here to talk to you. Are you okay? And then you yeah. kind of disarm them with that. You know, what they've been hearing from law enforcement for the most part is, you know, put your hands up, come out with your hands up, put the gun down, put the knife down, come off of the bridge. And, and they're not getting this it's all about what they want the person to do, not, you know, what's up with them. Are you okay? That's mm -hmm. usually my opening line is, is, and, and I use first names, which, um, so you don't say, uh, Hey, I'm Sergeant Harry Drucker negotiations uh, right. leader of the LAPD. And if you, uh, <laughs> if you look at money heist, I think she, she introduces herself, you know, this is inspector or so-and-so, um, I just say, Hey, this is Harry. I'm, I'm here to talk to you. Are you okay in there? Wow. I like uh, that. And, and it, it, it makes you less asshole from the get go. <laughs> right. And we got enough problems with that, uh, with that uh, reputation. Um, the, the profession kind of attracts a lot of uh, uh, personality types that would, you know, come off that way. Um, but uh, yeah, you just, you try to give them something different than what they've been hearing and show that you're, uh, and sometimes it's not easy. They're not going to, you know, all when they hear that, they may notice, hey, there's something different, but they're still going to have that defensive posture. And uh, most of the time, a lot of anger, a lot of high emotion. And, uh, you know, kind of funny what you were talking about, your rhymes and your your how your rhymes are going down and your content's coming up. Uh, <laughs> made me think of something called the emotionality, rationality uh, balance. You know, What's as we that? talk to somebody, their emotions high. And, uh, and you, what you, as time goes on, the emotion will come down and their rationality will go up. Uh, and that's what you want to facilitate that, that balance to come at least to the middle or have the rationality go way up to the top and have them understand, yeah, I'm not going to get a 747 and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, name your favorite food. You know, I'm going to get a sandwich and, and yeah, I'll probably have to go like, to jail. Today. Bring me a yacht and a plane or like, actually I will settle for Taco Bell, cheesy gordita crunch and like a, right. like a, a, a car, whatever it may be. But right. Like, We've had hostages released for sandwiches. So it's, uh, it can be done. What kind of sandwich? I hope it was Jimmy John's cause they're freaky fast. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah. You don't know Jimmy John's? No, I'm from New England, girlfriend. Do you know, Harry, do you know Jimmy John's? I know Jimmy John's. And like they're saying is like, we're freaky fast. Like they literally will deliver to your house in like three minutes. <laughs> Here's the mics is the big thing out here now. Okay, we have that too. Yeah. I never, 
got into it. But so my question is when you're sending someone in and I know like at least like working clinically and I, re I was reading your article and it was kind of cool, like a little bit of girl power in here. There was something that was saying, um, you stated that woman, and I guess this is obviously going to be probably not across the board, but women are extremely good negotiators. You stated something along the lines of putting women on the line is often what calms a suspect down. Um, and there, there was something along the lines of a lot of female negotiators are good at calming down many males, particularly in the Hispanic population. Have you seen this like time after time that these, is it like you think like a tone of voice that they're using? Is there some factor in between? Oh, I don't, I don't believe that at all. My wife made me uh, say that. Did she really? No, I'm kidding. So <laughs> I was going to say she's a good negotiator. Yes. You know, it's it. I find that it's true. And I'll just say from my experience that that uh, in, in Los Angeles, we've got a predominantly uh, Hispanic population. Um, it's a very uh, matriarchal society, even though uh, there's the macho side of things. Um, but that leads to a confrontational posture between a male negotiator and male suspect um, for the most part. And there's no absolutes in this in this uh, business. Uh, you put a female uh, voice on the line with with a male suspect, for the most part, almost all of them. But uh, we found with with Hispanic suspects, and and there's that matriarchal. You know, their their mothers are very important, and you have that a little bit of softer tone for the most part, and um, uh, it it seems to work. I've I've had the the um, I've been very fortunate to work with a partner for over twenty years, um, which I. I I should probably introduce you guys. Um, and uh, she has uh, had over, um, before she became a police officer, she had 15 years as a mental health clinician. So she's got that background. Plus she's got the most wonderful calming tone that I've ever heard. And uh, it just, you can't maintain anger and high emotion in the face of somebody who uh, has a softer tone and, and lower tone. And that's one of the first things that's like negotiation 101, 101 is tone. It's less important the words that you say. It's more important the tone of how you, how you say it. And totally. we just say low and slow. If somebody's screaming at you, try to just maintain that, that low and slow and, and um, uh, you know, possibly emotionally label. If somebody's yelling at you, say, you know, wow, you sound really angry. Um, I'd be angry too. But you say it in that, that kind of low tone and, and it, it really helps to bring people down. Cause I know we're, we're very big in our field in terms of, you know, like, um, not getting emotionally escalated. For example, if someone's getting heated up or, you know, you're like, okay, I need you to sit in the chair. Um, so we could get this activity started. I need you to sit in the chair. Right. And someone's like, no, I'm not sitting in the chair. I hate that. Right. They're throwing the chair around. It's, it's very much so like, you know, when we give a demand, we keep a demand, but in a way that there is not you know, you don't a want to become struggle. a power struggle. Like it's like sit in the chair, in okay. the chair. Yeah. In the chair. You find yourself getting in this like power struggle where it's like your tent, your um, emotions rise as their emotions rise. And it's hard. It's, I think it's a very special skill to have to be able to meet that and like keep yourself kind of at this level of like one when they're at a 10. Where it's like right, okay, right. Well, you don't want to get engaged in uh, what we call positional based negotiation, where I've got my position, I'm I'm 
I'm digging in and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, you, you figure out what's, it's like, what, what battle, um, what's you know, most important? Lose some yeah. battle? like, fine. You want to work on the floor? Let's freaking work on the floor. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Like whatever it may be. Like if the chair to you is so aversive or the, whatever it may be to your, um, you know, hostage, uh, person or, you know, <laughs> subject, um, all right. Like how important is that? Is it really that important that they sit at the chair? Probably not. Like we could probably do this work on the floor. If that makes them feel a little bit more comfortable and would be more in control. Um, so I'm sure you do a lot of that bargaining. We, we do a lot of that, but it's also important to, to, here's the other thing the movies get wrong. The negotiator doesn't have any decision-making power. Right. We, you know, the suspect may ask for a sandwich, but we, it's not up to to the negotiator that a sandwich goes in. There's, there's a whole command structure that deals with that. So, uh, you, you almost, you know, you start out with not saying no to anything. You just find out what they want and you're gathering all this information, but you make them assessment. Sorry. I had to throw out that behavioral term. You're, you're finding out what they prefer. And then you're really coming in strong to see if it's a a real reinforcer, if they're actually going to engage in the behavior you want them to, is that preference really strong enough for them to engage in the behavior that they said they're gonna right exactly and there's no guarantees i mean you could send in you know concede something or or give them something and and uh and they don't live up to their side of the bargain Mm -hmm. uh and and so what we try to do is we try to get um uh we try to get uh, their word on, on some of the things hey okay you you want this if if we're able to get you that i'll i'll run it by the boss and see if 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 they'll do that and if we're able to get you that you know, will you put the gun down? You know, can I have your word? Uh, and and if you can get them to say the words, I promise, or I give you my word, um, there's that, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, theory of commitment, which is uh, from the, the book Influence. Um, Dr. Cialdini, you're probably familiar with, with uh, uh, the uh, psychology of persuasion, which we deal a lot in. Uh, get somebody, you know, we're conditioned as human beings to, uh, if we give our word or if we promise to do something, unless we're there's some kind of psychotic uh, background going on or personality disorder, pretty much we're, we feel the need to live up to that. Uh, mm-hmm. And we can work with that as well. The hardest thing I have is to convince sometimes the negotiation with the command to let them know, hey, it's a good idea to sometimes give something, some kind of concession without something in return uh, in order to kind of establish that, that relationship that we need. So So I know we really wanted to talk about, um, and I know we don't have as much time as I'd love to have, but um, about communication in general, we like, you know, we, we knew that you do these hostage negotiations, which I'm obsessed with, (laughs) but we, we were thinking, how can we generalize this idea out beyond just you know, hostage negotiations about the importance of communication on the topic of communication. You had said something when we were speaking on our pre-interview, which you thought was actual podcast. And (laughs) it, and you had brought up the idea of why, and, you know, Casey and I, when we're teaching a lot of our students um, to become great behavior analysts, we always talk about the idea of Okay, so when you're going into someone's home and like they're having, you know, behavioral issues, whatever it is, and you go in there and you say, okay, well, why is why is your child doing this? Right. And we're like, you never ask why to the individual because 
Like we could ask them, when does it occur? What does the behavior look like? Um, what happens immediately before this behavior happened? But the why is is really our job to figure out why. And I, you had said something about this also, so correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you had said something about you needing to figure out why. Well, I think you need to separate uh, the why of a behavior versus the why of the feelings. So, um, you know, so you want to say, why did you do that? Because they may not even know. But right. if somebody's really angry about something, it's like, why does this make you so angry? That will hopefully elicit a little more uh, conversation about elicit that. guys, elicit the word elicit operant behavior. Keep going. No respondent do, behavior. <laughs> is that do I win something? Because I yeah, uh, you won said the something. word of the day. Elicit, <laughs> it's elicit's a big word. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So uh, why can be challenging, a little too confrontational, challenging, uh, depending on when when you ask it and what you're asking it about. Um, so you know, even with you know raising kids, which I'm you know I've I've got three of them, but you know one who's um, about to make me a grandfather, but uh, it's the that's so exciting asking them. Yeah, I'm a little worried in in this time, but uh, mm-hmm. the uh, you don't you know they do something wrong, which kids do and adults do, and and you know especially I'm finding with with boys sometimes you ask you know well why did you do that you know, and they don't know they really don't know. Uh, and so, um, they panic or they'll tell a lie to try you know, back that up. But, um, it, what's important to know when you're communicating with somebody is, is understanding that they're, um, you, you can't approach it with your sensibility of what would make you mad. What, what's important to you. It's understanding what, why is that important to them? Uh, and, um, you don't really get very far in my experience of, of asking them why they did something. Why did you rob that, that cell phone store? Why did you do this? Why did you, it's, it's very confrontational. It's not likely to lead to building rapport because then they see you as, uh, as the opponent instead of their advocate. Cause when somebody's barricaded in, in a house and, and they're looking in a lot, they're looking for a way out, whether it's a way to escape or a way to, uh, to actually come out without getting hurt, um, you're the you're their lifeline, uh, and and it's it was a lot easier to do that pre cell phone because we would we would manipulate the house line and they couldn't talk to anyone else. Now there's the internet. Now there's cell phones, and and they're likely talking to multiple other people while we're trying to communicate. It's very hard to lock that communication down. Yeah, so things have changed. You guys have to adapt. To the changes. Right. And I, I'm kind of in a, a unique, well, I wouldn't say it's so unique position for a negotiator that I've seen that that evolution of, uh, you know, we, it used to be, you know, you'd roll up to a, to a call uh, back in the early days of what I was doing and we'd call the phone company and, and we'd say, okay, this is an emergency situation. Can you uh, disable their ability to make any calls out, only accept calls in? Can you change your phone number so other people aren't calling in and we're the only one who know, knows the phone number? Wow. Can't do that with cell phones. Um, and antecedent interventions, antecedent interventions. But now it's a lot harder because you could be on Facebook, you could be on Twitter, you could be on. Right. And it's hard to keep up with all that. 
it's you know now we we've had uh, negotiations take place over FaceTime, over other Zoom, you know, uh, Google Meetups and all that. Um, so it's right it's now little... like you would be on this like we're on Google Hangout, so this could be a medium for a hostage negotiation. It could be, and the upside to it is you've now got the ability to uh, to use facial expressions and eye contact. Although sometimes people don't know to look into the camera and they're looking at the person and it looks like they're not paying attention, but you've got Which an extra I am, dynamic. By the way, I've been taking notes so that I can put a quote of the, of the podcast. That's okay. why I've been looking down. I texted her. I'm like, stop looking down. You're like looking so un- unengaged. <laughs> I'm not unengaged actually because of my ADHD. I'm focused more when I'm taking notes on something. Yeah. I love it. I'm, I'm with you. I do that a lot. Um, but you've got that extra dynamic of uh, eye contact is huge and, bo- yeah. and uh, body language is huge, especially when you're dealing with uh, someone who is the face to face ones that we still do are, are like bridge jumpers. Yeah. And people are about to jump off a building. You go up and, and, and you try to get them focused on you and, and making eye contact. Uh, it, it, it's very uh, it's not something we want to do with an armed suspect, obviously. Right. Um, but uh, um, and that's another thing you see in movies where, you know, the, the negotiator, the movie hostage with Bruce Willis, he, he like goes up to the front of the house and he's yelling, shoot me, you know, it, it, what he's trying to do is get the suspect to focus on him instead of the uh, potential victim inside the house. But again, would never happen. Um, and, and it wouldn't be up to the negotiator to just walk up to a house. It, you have to run that. Even if you were going to do it, you got to run it by the whole command structure. Um, but huge benefit in, in eye contact, in, in communication. So I want to talk our last thing I want to talk about, and I, I know that you're so humble that you don't even like bring this up, but like you created and what you do is like the, you produce these trainings, these negotiation trainings. Um, the one that I watched was surviving a um, like a mass shooting. And didn't you win an Emmy? Like, <laughs> well, for this? It, again, the team concept. Um, I know I, uh... you always say the team. Absolutely. Which is great. <laughs> yeah, but like. It's... It's something that like you didn't even talk about with us when we were talking on the phone and I was doing more research on you. I watched the uh, 10 minute long YouTube video on on surviving like a mass shooting and the things that you need to like think about behaviors you need to engage in, whether it's hiding and concealing or running and escaping or keeping a, you know, security bag, all these things like you produced this like that's so incredibly awesome. It's uh, it's. It's one thing I'm really, really proud of. And again, um, thank you, first of all, for, for yeah. pointing that out. It's called Surviving an Active Shooter. Yep. Um, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. It's so good. I watched it. It's amazing. It's even... kind of scary because sure. when you it's talk about these we things, you talk about it. it. No, but you talk about these things so casually, which like, and I realize like I watch a lot of Dateline and stuff and I watch it very casually, but like, these are scary things. Like I felt like right. I was actually in an uh, active shooting when I was watching your video. Like I really did. I was like, it was very real and um, it was very concrete behaviors to engage in, which is what we, you know, try to like focus on is what are the actual things you can do when you're, you know, super heightened fright or flight, what are you going to do? Right. Um, and you did, it was just such a, and you know, it was just a great video that I think everyone should be able to watch, especially in the times that we're in now. 
Yeah, it's been some of the criticism it's had is it was too violent, but uh, I mean, it had to be. It was real. It was really real. Like you can't sugarcoat that shit. People are going to a mass shooter is going in and shooting people. You want to like pretend that they're not like, no. Right, right. And, you know, again, I, I, I the 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 Emmy that we won was a local Emmy and and I got for executive producer, which which is pretty much what I did. I coordinated the whole thing, but it was written and directed by a member of my team, um, Vance Controlla, who's a USC film school grad. And and we had a huge team of volunteers. Uh, we had over 400 volunteers for that. And, and um, it was really other- well made. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I'm very proud of my, my crew for that. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I think again, talking about anxiety and what's going on right now, I, I, I read a tweet the other day that, uh, this was the first March in, um, since 2002, I think where there wasn't a school shooting, um, which I guess if you have to have a, a silver lining in the dark cloud, I, I guess that would be it. But, um, you know, we all want to get through this and, and uh, we're looking at ways to uh, communicate different messages uh, to the public uh, using. And, and one idea we we're talking about is actually this setup where people are communicating and meeting on computers. And, and um, the fact that we still have healthcare workers and first responders out there putting themselves in, in, in true danger, even in, you know, the you know, I, my hat's off to grocery store workers and, and yeah, some people yeah. are still mistreating them and, and really you need to be kind and, and, uh, and thank I, every, every time I go, I, I went to a restaurant just, we're, we're trying to patronize yeah. local businesses and went, went there to pick up, uh, some food last night. And, and there were just three employees in this, this restaurant that on a Saturday night would have been packed, completely yeah. packed. And there's three employees there. And I just say, hey, thank you guys for being here. And um, I, I just hope they come out on the other end um, uh, still in business. Um, but you always need to be, you know, kind of to bring it back to um, uh, the the topic that you need to be aware of what's going on around you, but not scared. Mm-hmm. Um, so the message we wanted to communicate is just just keep an eye on your surroundings and and have, be, have that awareness of, of what's going on and trust when the hair stands up on the back of your neck, there's a reason for that. Oh, here comes Casey. Bump, bump, bump. Casey, please say it. I always get goosebumps. I am like the goosebump queen. And yes. like listening to those goosebumps where it's like, I'm in an unsafe situation or it may be a good situation. I have goosebumps, but like really listening to those, like whether I'm walking home and it's late at night. Casey, and that's I'm not like, what I was saying. Oh, what? The feathers. The feathers. Oh, oh, totally different. Listening to the feathers before the Mack truck hits you. <laughs> That's not mine either. I took that, but listening to like the little feathers in your face before you get hit by a Mack truck, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Go a little I'm bit. Sure same you're, thing. I'm sure you're familiar with the book, The Gift of Fear. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yep. So that's that's coming from a place there. of fear. Yep. Absolutely. Pay attention. Pay attention to those signals and, and just, trust your trust your gut. That bitch knows what's up. I'm telling you, like, right. She, like it really does. And I've many times come into contact with like, you know, I'm walking home at night. I live, you know, in the, it's a little city, not not a city at all. But like, I'll feel really uncomfortable with somebody and I would, you know, cross the street immediately and I, I just listen to myself. Like, I know this seems it's socially awkward to do that, but like, Nope. Sorry, dude. Like you're really freaking me out and I'm going to cross the street and give you less, um, 
contact with the fact that you could grab me right now. Like, or I'm going to pull my cell phone out and be like on the fake on the phone with my husband or whatever. Everyone's doing that now for a different reason, but you know, my husband now wants to buy a gun. We've, ne- I didn't even know he ever even wanted a gun. And now he's like, we're getting a gun. I'm hey, like, Harry, could you, Harry, do you mind sending me a few for this whole quarantine thing? Just send me a few <laughs> guns in the mail. <laughs> I'm actually not a, a gun person. I wouldn't own one if I, uh, if I didn't oh, have I to. I love for my that profession. about you. So I, um, I, you know, I, I think I'm not against gun ownership or, or uh, any of it. I just think that you need to make sure you're trained yes. and, uh, and you See, really need my husband think to listen about to this it. Episode. No, I'm thinking more BB gun or paintball gun. Just like get the point, <laughs> get the point across. Well, I had an idea. Like and, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I had an idea for a product, but uh, don't, you know, I, I get these ideas, but never follow through with them. Just, just something that makes the sound of a shotgun racking oh yeah uh oh yeah if somebody broke into your house you just do that and that's yep you shouldn't Um, say it on here you don't want to give these ideas away uh, yeah well you can i I won't take credit for it you can just run with that i love it all right so this is a great i love this podcast it's amazing and um, I think we learned a ton from you harry and i have so i have so much to post on this podcast it's great and your communication and style, your um, ability to negotiate with these, you know, intense situations. And um, and I have a one great. compliment. I have one compliment for Harry because, you know, I want to end with him getting some reinforcement, too, is I have to say, thank God I've never had any negative run ins with the police. Like I'm in a situation where. I like I'm like, oh, community helpers like I learned about in preschool. Right. But I know a lot mm-hmm. of people have really negative connotations. And, um, and I know even when we discussed, you had said like, unfortunately they get a bad rap. A lot of people come in from like, you know, different circumstances that bring them into becoming a police officer. And, uh, when I speak to you, I really feel like, um, it's, I don't know how to put this, but it's not like you're like doing this, like a get even thing. Like, yeah, this is my chance to rule the world and be a police officer. Like, I actually really feel like what you're doing is good. And, and I, I think that police officers in general or lieutenants or sergeants, whatever, please forgive me ever I'm saying it, but you get what I mean, could really benefit from having this training of looking at the communication, looking at the situation going on, looking at the individual as a human in dealing with them. And I think that, you know, applying those principles and more people being like you could really impact a lot of the, um, which I know he's retiring in what, like 34, 39 days. So maybe in he'll 23 uh, minutes and 23 minutes or something. <laughs> he's exactly. been keeping track. Well, you know, thank you for the comment, but you know, I got to tell you that, that I have, I personally know thousands of really awesome people who are police officers and they're out there every day doing exactly what you're talking about. Um, and it just takes one who is, you know, we, we have to recruit from the human race. So we get good and bad and some of them fall through the cracks and, and Oh my God, same, same. Don't worry. We have to do Yeah. In every profession. Uh, I, somebody said once that there's somewhere in the world is the worst doctor and somebody tomorrow, someone probably has an appointment with them. So, uh, but, uh, you know, it just takes the one that hits the media and, and has, you know, there's plenty of bad shootings that happen and it's a set of circumstances that just 
fall into place and whether it's poor training or it's it's fear or whatever it is, it turns into a really bad situation. It's probably and multiply maintained functions of behavior, whether it's poor training or it's fear or it's a lack of experience, whatever it may be. Right, right. And and those are the ones that everyone, uh, not everyone, but social media and, and, yep. and you know, let's face it, nobody it's wants a gift to and a curse, for sure. get on the news that, uh, you know, an officer did a good job today um, because right. that's mostly the case. Uh, and uh, that's a whole a whole other topic. But thank yeah. you for saying they, that. They could use us BCBAs to reinforce good behavior. If they want to hire us, please put them in touch with me. I'll, I'll give you contact info. I'll reinforce one of them a day. Right on. <laughs> All right, you rock. You're a freaking amazing person and you've oh, done so you. much. And I think that like you coming on and being, you know, willing to just like talk with us um, means so much. So thank you for being our guest today on episode 46. Can't believe we even made it here. <laughs> My pleasure. So thank you so much. As always, guys, thanks for tuning in. You know where to find us. Behaviorbitches.com. Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast, and leave us a five-star review on the Apple Store because we love that shit and we can read it at the beginning of the episode. Woo! Oh my God, yay. So thanks so much. As always, love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat here, and I just wanted to take the time for just a single second of your time and tell you about something awesome. As you know, Casey and I are super into this podcast thing going on here and getting it started. And I just wanted to let you know that there's an easy way to get it done. And that is what I'm going to tell you right now about Pretty Easy Podcast. Thank God we got in touch with a team at Pretty Easy Podcast. They help you do everything from start to finish. They will get your show up there. They will record the episode for you. They will produce it. They will add bleeps in if you're full of F-bombs like myself. Whatever it is that you need, they will do it. When you first said you wanted to start a podcast, I was like, okay, we can do that. We have no idea what we're doing. I never really thought it would get off ground until we met Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast and he put all my fears to rest. He helped us get everything going from all of our audio, audio editing and production and hit our song that we have, which is amazing, by the way. We're allowed to record from our own homes. He helps us with our guests. Um, he caters to our schedule. Come on, Leah, we are the worst with scheduling. I mean, I know we said we're going to have a podcast a week. So far, we're out a few days, but hey, he works with us. That's what we need. But the point is, we were looking at how we could download all these different programs to try learn how to do all this podcasting stuff. But truth is, it's affordable. It's much easier to have someone do it for you. You could go to prettyeasypodcast.com and you could get started today. So. I say go. I say if you want to be heard, if you have something to say, like we do, we love the sound of our own voices, and we found Alan who lets our voices shine. So thank you, Alan, at prettyeasypodcast.com. Thank you.